The Enviro Show with Nancy Richards. It's the Enviro Show, which means it's the Green Hour here on SAFM. Nice to have you with us. Have you with me, Nancy Richards, and together with Kim Winter and Lance Andrews, right here in the Cape Town studio where it's nice and uh, cosy in the studio, and hope too that you're warm and dry. In fact, that you're answering perhaps ESCOM's call to keep electricals down to a minimum as uh, they've been uh, requesting everybody to reduce demand on power. So just make sure you haven't got all the lights and heaters on in empty rooms. So what have we got on the show tonight? Well, first up with the State of the Nation address still ringing in our ears. Did it or didn't it deliver attention to green issues? Well, we'll be checking in on that with the Director of Energy Research at the University of Cape Town. He's Professor Harold Winkler. Then after that, big congratulations to young movie maker Jolene Minar and her film on fracking, which is called Unearth, just won itself the Green Award at the Documentary Film Festival in Sheffield in the UK. So we'll be chatting to her to find out more about it. And then chatting to Tony Ribnick to find out what a hope spot is and where you can find one here in South Africa. In our forage feature, we've gone completely nuts. We're going to be chatting about nuts to the Green Farms Nut Company. And in our green goodie feature to close, a farm-to-fork organic business in Robertson who have been using good-for-the-ground packaging. Yes, that's exactly what it's called, good-for-the-ground. We'll be talking to Alison Gilson. So that we've got lined up, and if you would like to join us at any stage, you're welcome. 0892102010 is the number to call, 0892102010. Or you can find us on Facebook here. We're at uh, The Enviro Show on SAFM. Pop us a mail, enviro at safm.co. Right, got to move straight along because, as I say, State of the Nation address still in our ears. And if you didn't manage to listen to it on Tuesday night and were wondering if issues of climate change had been covered, well, on that you might well be disappointed. But it seems there is some good news. And uh, for give us a bit more of the bigger picture, we have on the line Professor Harold Winkler. He's the director of Energy Research Centre at the University of Cape Town. Hi, Professor. Evening, Nancy. Nice to have you with us. Were you listening very carefully? Were your antennae wavering as you heard the president speak? Um, I, I was listening carefully and, and certainly read the speech also um, online. And as you mentioned, I mean, I, I really didn't see any mention of climate change at all. And uh, if you look for the word environment in the in, in the written speech, um, you really just sort of find it in the in the context of a, an environment for growth or um, the one place where it's mentioned is is in relation to shale gas um, to to really um, look at the environmental impacts of shale gas. But really, there is very little emphasis. It's a very strongly economic state of the nation speech. Very little attention to the environment. Mm, in your opinion, uh, was that a sort of missed priority? I certainly think so, and um, I mean, my own work is very much on on um, in energy. Uh, we we look at all forms of energy at the Energy Research Centre, but my own interest is on energy and climate change in my research, and um, it's it, it's a crucial issue, and it's it's just unclear whether whether to me whether President Zuma and and the administration really have fully internalised how how serious this is. Um, a lot of the emphasis in the uh, on the energy side of things was really focused on energy security, domestic security, and and really what came across very strongly was a focus on implementing nuclear power and uh, shale gas domestically. And then there was some mention of of importing hydro, but I, I think the political uncertainties around that are very large. 
Yes, a lot of uncertainties, certainly around shale gas, um, not to mention nuclear. But in your opinion, I think what, what you're saying is that climate change actually is going to impact the poor um, quite drastically. Can you just spell it out for us? What are your concerns? Well, Nancy, I think the important thing to understand is that climate change is a long-term issue that requires urgent action. And I think that sometimes the problem is that the perspectives of, of decision-makers and policy-makers is very short-term and uh, climate change, uh, we, we're on track um, with the political agreements internationally at the moment for a, a world that is at least four degrees Celsius warmer on average than, than we've had. And that really means um, droughts and floods and you know possibly malaria and Cape Town. Um, our country is already very water-stressed. Most of the climate impacts of climate change are many. It's not just melting icebergs. It's many impacts. In South Africa, many of them are really mediated by water, waterborne diseases, some uh, uh, water-stressed areas becoming even more drought-prone, more rain. It's true in the eastern part, but there sometimes that leads to floods. So it's not all negative, but, but overall, really, things are going to become a lot more un unpredictable. And for those of us who have the capacity to adapt, which we call, which is what we call the responding response to the impacts of climate change, we may be able to install another air conditioner if it gets warmer, but that just makes the problem worse. The real impact is not going to be felt by the poor simply because they don't have the capacity to adapt. So, for example, subsistence farmer on the west coast of South Africa that's already very water-stressed might just you know, be pushed over the edge. And so it really is a very serious issue um, in the long term. And if we don't, don't change our path now um, and don't build more coal-fired power stations, then um, you know, everybody else is going to do the same. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's poor people who are going to suffer the most. Is it, is it a matter of, of lack of understanding of the, uh, of the size of the problem, or is it simply that there are other greater priorities? I think, I think there, there is a, a broader understanding, and I certainly believe President Zuma um, ha, has understood intellectually uh, the, the issues. He was already in Copenhagen five years ago making announcements on behalf of South Africa. But I think when other interests, and particularly more short-term, more economic interests, get weighed up, Unfortunately, the environment loses out, and I think what that really, that is short-termist and unfortunately not taking the long-term issues into account, and what it really doesn't understand is that our entire economy is based on, um, on ecosystems and the services we get from ecosystems, the natural resources, and also all kinds of other services. Just your view of the future, you mentioned nuclear, shale, gas, coal. What do you see as the energy of the future? I mean, your energy research centre, you must be looking at what lies ahead and what's the best possible uh, fuel to be lying ahead. Certainly, and we certainly analyse all, all fuels and all energy sources and, and technologies. In the long term, I think there can be little doubt that the most sustainable option of energy supply is um, on renewable energy simply because it is renewable. It is a flow of energy that we get far more energy from the sun than any other energy source that, that we have more than coal because it's simply repeated each year, whereas coal is a fixed stock that we gradually are using up. Um, the other, and the other area that also... Uh, um, is really important is to use energy more efficiently, to use less of it, and, and to distribute, um, to have more distributed energy generation. And there was really no mention of this the, in, in, in the state of the nation, really. The, the shift was very much back into, let's have some simple, big supply-side solutions, and, and that's really not uh, the, the long-term sustainable solution. 
One of the things that you know was mentioned, it certainly is employment. I mean, we've got to get the economy back on track. People need jobs. That's a big, big cry. In terms of um, renewable energies, isn't that a, a great potential source of employment? It is, and that's um, one of the the positive signs of the State of the Nation was the there was included a confirmation that there will be a fourth round of the renewable IPP program, as it's called, it's called the program to buy more power from independent power producers. That's already been a major success in South Africa, and one of the, uh, apart from bringing more clean energy, which is really important, it's um, it's changed the the ratio on which projects are are, are assessed. With thirty percent of that is assessed on the basis of what uh, contribution it makes to local communities, community ownership, socioeconomic benefits, um, a whole range of issues have to be shown by um, by private developers as they are bidding to to supply renewable energy. And I believe it's very, that, that is very good news that that is going to be continued. And indeed, the same requirement should be put on any other uh, energy technology, be they renewable, coal, nuclear, or any other. Just going back to the State of the Nation address, it's the State of Our Nation. But as an energy research centre, I imagine you don't only look internally at what's going on in South Africa. Any other nations in Africa, any of them sort of uh, showing the way environmentally or you know, in terms of energy? Well, um, that's a very interesting question, Nancy, and certainly we, we certainly study internationally and, of course, have a particular interest in Africa. Mm. One of the countries that really, um, Ethiopia actually has a very interesting uh, green growth strategy. Now, I must be honest that when, when the term of green growth first came up, I, I, I was skeptical and I thought maybe this is actually a contradiction in terms, an oxymoron, but I think uh, Ethiopia has taken a very, very serious approach to try and, and broadly pursue that strategy, not only in terms of greening its energy, but more broadly developing sustainably. Uh, the big challenge, I think, in, in African countries and indeed in South Africa is really moving from good plans to actual implementation. And that's, again, where I would agree with the state of the nation that the time you know, to, to talk is, is over and really the, the big challenge is implementation. Green growth strategy, that sounds like something we should get our, our heads around at some stage. Perhaps we can invite you back again at, at a later stage, Professor Harold Winkler. Thank you very much for your insights there. Thanks a lot. Oh, just lastly, uh, Energy Research Centre website? www.erc.uct.ac.za erc.uct.ac.za Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Good evening. Professor Harold Winkler, well, if you would like to know more, it's uh, www.erc, that's the Energy Research Centre, .uct.ac.za. Prost! Cheers! Cheers! Cheers. Cheers. Santé! Voilà. However you say it, make sure it's with the Hansa. Hansa Pilsner is the proud broadcast sponsor of SAPC's coverage of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. Enjoy responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. It's a goal! Doelpunt! Fantastisch! However you say it, make sure it's with the Hansa. Hansa Pilsner is the proud broadcast sponsor of SAPC's coverage of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. Hansa Pilsner, brewed for the dreamers. Enjoy responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. The Enviro Show. 
Incidentally, here on the Enviro Show, we'll be getting an update on the Uruguay versus England uh, match just in a minute later with uh, Atta Sibeta. So stay tuned with us for that. But stay tuned with us right now for perhaps some slightly better news on South African green issues. Inasmuch as a documentary on fracking called Unearth, recently unearthed, that is, it recently won a green award at the Sheffield Documentary Film Festival in the UK. Well, we have on the line to tell us how that felt and what it's all about. We have a very proud filmmaker. She's Jolyon Minar. Hi, Jolyon. Hey, Nancy. Thank you for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. We wanted to wish you congratulations alive and, and well and in person. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, the event, first and foremost. The Sheffield Documentary Festival, do they focus on green issues or did you get the green trophy from amongst all the other, film, all the other films? Um, Sheffield is one of the biggest documentary festivals in the world and they host a variety of different themes and genres and we were very happy to have our world premiere at such a prestigious event. Uh, we won in the green category, so any documentaries that were covering environmental issues from across the world, uh, we were nominated and, and then came home with a trophy and we're the first South African documentary to do so, so uh, we're all very, very excited and wow. it's, it's a great boost. So you premiered it there, so it hasn't yet been shown here in South Africa? It was, we premiered, oh, I think it was last week, it's all happened so quickly, we premiered there and then we flew back straight away for our national uh, debut at the Encounters Film Festival, which happened this last weekend. So uh, there have been three screenings in South Africa so far. Well, I must make sure that I get the ASAP. Unearthed, tell us about it. Fracking, hot topic at the moment. I imagine you've been working on this for quite some time if you put together a film. That's right. Yeah, definitely a, a hot, uh, hot controversial topic mm, in some very. places. I started researching this about two or three years ago uh, when I stumbled across the fracking plans. I am from the Karoo. I was, I, I grew up there, but I was always quite frustrated by the lack of information on the topic at that stage, or you know, still today. It's, it's quite a heated topic, and I, I remember, you know, being quite frustrated that people seem to be taking sides without really having done the research, or South Africans were kind of left in the dark um, trying to understand this this new technology that was pioneered in the United States. Um, so I did some research into it, but I, I was always quite optimistic about it coming from the Karoo. Actually, I, I thought that, you know, it was something that the, that the people in the Karoo deserved, any kind of development. Uh, that was until I was able to go to the United States um, to cross-check the research that I've been doing in South Africa, uh, you know, going to communities that are living in gas drilling areas, speaking to the scientists, behind the fracking technology, speaking to members of government in the U.S., and, and, and uncovered the other side of the story, um, you know, and, then, and then coming home and, and having to swallow your optimism and, and tell people about what you saw in the U.S. Sure. That sounds like quite a tough call to be making a film with one frame of mind. And, you know, the research is a whole journey of discovery. It means that you would have to be very careful about your footage, you know, what you're shooting, how you're shooting it, because you need to have an approach. Absolutely. It was, you know, it's, it's, I know it's a combination of about three years of work. It was uh, five months of filming in the U.S., about a year of filming in South Africa. We also filmed in the United Kingdom and in Canada because um, I've always been committed to speaking to every single side of the debate. And the, the film also features uh, people in gas drilling areas to, um, you know, big uh, CEOs of, of well-known uh, oil and gas corporations. I've always been committed to really getting to the bottom of it objectively and speaking to everyone that's involved. And as you said, I mean, you know, I came home or at the end of it, we, we sat on top of about 15 terabytes of footage and information um, to really help us make a, a feature film that's, that's rounded and, and, and takes the entire debate into consideration. Mm, that must be an editing job and a half. It's like a, <laughs> yeah. a PhD. 
Did the people that you spoke to, was everybody willing to talk? Was everybody informed? Because as you say, there's a lot of uh, grey areas. Not everybody's exactly sure about it. And it kind of depends. You know, money's involved quite a lot here. Uh, was everybody very clear about what they, what they knew and what they wanted to say? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, you know, some, some aspects are, are easier to research and easier to access than others. I, I was really grateful to meet with the, um, you know, many engineers and, and scientists behind the technology who actually, you know, spent time uh, working with the industry to develop the fracking technology but have now stepped back to caution against it. And I was quite surprised, you know, that the members of, of the science world but also, you know, previous um, employees of, of these big corporations who were so grateful for my time and grateful that I, you know, would, would listen to them and, 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 and take their story, uh, you know, back to the Karoo, but also take it to all the other countries right now considering fracking. They're trying to voice their concerns uh, amidst, you know, bombardment of, of really powerful PR campaigns. And I was quite struck that they were really grateful for a South African, uh, you know, filmmaker and journalist going there on her own and, and, and you know, documenting um, their stories. But then on the other side of the coin, it was a real challenge to uh, get a full picture of what was happening in the gas drilling communities because what happens, and, and this is something that I noticed, you know, we've, that I focused on because it's a real handbrake for anyone trying to get the, the full picture, is... Um, the prevalence of non-disclosure agreements signed with any families or members of the public who have been impacted by gas drilling operations. And that essentially means that those people are no longer able to speak about what has happened to them, uh, and, and in most cases their statistic disappears. And, and that was really why I had to spend so much time going from door to door in, in, in the communities in the United States to try and get a, a real understanding of how many people had been impacted, what had happened to them, trying to piece together, you know, missing data in many cases. So, you know, in some, in some areas people are so willing and, and grateful to share their stories, and in some cases it's, it's trying to piece together what had happened uh, in order to understand... Mm, between the lines. Or, you know, we yeah, read between the lines, and, um, you know, they're trying to understand what that could mean for a place like the Karoo. Just thinking that there must be many issues that are run parallel between what's going on in the states and what's happening here, except that we're way behind. You know, we've got we've got their example to to look at and see all the consequences. But here in South Africa, did you know? There, as I said, quite a lot of grey areas. There seem to be a lot of decisions being made, um, but not a lot of information being passed on. Did you manage to speak to any of the big decision makers here in South Africa to hear that to, give, to get any convincing arguments about how this is a good thing? Sure. I, you know, with the film finished now, luckily it's given me more leverage to go back to members of government and, and continue my meetings. I've, you know, throughout the production of the film, I've always been contributing to articles and, and sharing my research along the way. And, you know, we've got some meetings lined up in the next few weeks to go back and, and have some screenings with different departments. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it is, as, as you, you know, you, you spoke about it earlier to Professor Winkler, I mean, South Africa and, and the world at large is a crossroads right now, and we're, and we're caught between the economy and the environment and, and trying to solve the real the realities, you know, of post-2008 and, and having to uh, get people to work and, and, and get lights switched on in South Africa. Um, so you can understand the real political pressure for anyone in power right now to support something like fracking, yeah. because on the ground it means that that party represents development and um, the question is just you know is, is fracking the right kind of development for the career and also for you know future energy policies of South Africa um, so it is, it is a very tricky 
debate, a very sensitive one, um, but that doesn't mean that we should shy away from it. I think we need to look at all the energy options available to us and, and really make sure that we're moving ahead in the right direction. Mm. Contentious here, contentious in the States, and certainly no less contentious in the UK, where you were, where you won this award. Uh, I think there's been a, a very big hue and cry about it. What's the, did you see a lot of parallels there? Were people interested to see how your film sort of related to what they were undergoing there? Absolutely. We've been blown away. You know, we were just sold-out audiences in the UK because it's exactly the same scenario. You know, the, the questions that we're asking are the questions that they're asking. And you know, Unearth really allows you an in-depth uh, glimpse into what's happening on the other side in the US, what's happening on the other side of the glitzy commercials that were being sold, you know, meeting people on the ground with severe water and air contamination, severe health impacts, uh, really you know, making sure the other side of the story is told and, and and also respecting the people in the U.S., you know, many of the community members are just so grateful that you're going to ensure that their story isn't repeated on anyone. So, you know, we're overwhelmed and still so many screening requests from across the world right now because there are so many Karoos out there. You know, there's so many people, um, there's so many governments considering something like shale gas as yeah. a new sexy energy option from Wall Street. So, um, you yeah, know, and Earth really does come at a, at a, at a time where it's... Um, Many people are looking for it and, and the, the research that it, that it brings to the table. Yes, I think I saw on your Facebook, it was either on your Facebook page or on your website, somebody requesting, I can't remember what part of the world it was, but somebody requesting that you go and screen your movie over there. But the most important thing is that we get to see it here. Yes. Um, and the, perhaps, you know, outside of the all the documentary film festivals, which a whole lot of people are not able to get to, it needs to get out there. You, you need to take a copy to the Karoo. Absolutely. And we're really excited. We're kicking off. I'm actually busy uh, planning all the, the, the things right now. Uh, we're going to the Karoo in the, in the next month or so. Uh, we've been very grateful for it. Uh, you know, people come together with sponsorships and helping us get to the Karoo with the solar-powered screenings in some places, uh, getting to the people who, who deserve the film and who, who need that information first. Um, from there, we, we're back at the Durban International Film Festival, and from there, we're back to all the independent cinemas in the, in the country cities. There's also a TV version coming out, and we're also relaunching our, uh, our website and the online channel to make all of the footage and the research open source. So that's available to everyone across the world and to be able to access that as well. Well, certainly you've been doing your homework, haven't you? <laughs> all the hard work you've put in over the last three years, it sounds like it's paying off. Um, you mentioned your website there. Is it un-earthed.com? That's right, okay. www.un-earth.com. Super, fantastic. Well, Jolyn, well done. Um, great on that, but it seems like your work has just begun. So keep it up the good work, and we look forward to seeing it very, very soon. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Thank you so much for having no, me. It's Thank my you. pleasure. Jolyn Minar, well, how's that? Now, filmmaker, and her movie's called Unearthed. If you'd like to check it out on the, well, at least you can't necessarily see the film on the website, but check out the website and you can read more about it. It's www.un-earthed.com. Dot com, un-earthed.com. Well, let's move on to something a little bit more hopeful, hope spots. What is a hope spot? You might wonder, I certainly did. Well, what they are apparently are special conservation areas that are critical to the health of the ocean. That's Earth's blue heart. Some of these hope spots are already formally protected, while others still need protection. About 12% of the land around the world is now under some form of protection, national parks, world heritage sites, etc., while less than 3% of the ocean is protected in any way. Well, there you go. I've been reading that from the Sustainable Seas Trust website. Uh, on the line from whom we have CEO Tony Ribnick. Hi, Tony. Good evening to you. How are you? Excellent. Thank you very much. Hope you, you're spot. not too cold where you are. 
Um, actually, in, I have to say in the studio it's pretty hot. It's quite <laughs> cosy, but it's a bit nips outside. Thank you for asking. Um, a hope spot. What a what a wonderful, optimistic sounding thing. But a hope spot is an international situation. Just explain what one is. Right. I think maybe I should begin by explaining where it came from. Hmm. Um, Sylvia Earle, who's probably the best ambassador for the oceans that there is. She's a National Geographic explorer in residence and she holds 24 honorary doctorates and she's just an absolute passionate person about the sea and she's dived very deeply and so forth. And for her conservation and other marvellous activities, she was awarded the TED Award and she had to give her speech. And the TED Awards usually pull together the world's brightest and best thinkers and those who are doers and they, they challenged to give a talk that could possibly change the world. And she decided that what she should do is to develop hope spots. And the philosophy is that you know, there's so many people in the world these days who are sort of overwhelmed by negative trends and the global issues seem to be far beyond the possibilities of organizations and individuals doing something about it. That if one can actually enhance people and ignite them, get them to be become positive and have hope, then these would be the hope spots. So while in the States and elsewhere and, and elsewhere in the world, most of the hope spots are, as you said in the introduction, really rather special conservation areas, what we're looking at in South Africa is involving people even more. So that for us in South Africa, there are special areas where people in South Africa can play a role in improving their environment. I said so, and also to help others to do the same sort of thing. Now, Sylvia's coming out at the end of this year to launch South Africa's first hope spots. Oh, wow. And we're very certain that we're going to have at least five, possibly more. That's very exciting. So we don't have we got any that have been earmarked? Yes, we have. And, and they're going to be Africa's first. Um, and, uh, there are five now that are certain. I thought that we'd be ready to have two, but the, they've become so popular and so many places would like them that we definitely have five, possibly six, and I don't think any more than six because Sustainable Seas Trust is too small to to embark upon another. Because in each of them, we're developing committees, and the committees are there, and then the public meetings and the public are becoming involved. I've actually just been um, around a big chunk of South Africa visiting the, com the committees, having public meetings. And I'm actually overwhelmed by the excitement of people and the willingness to do something which is positive. It, it seems so great to have something on your front doorstep, as it were, where you can go down, make a difference, influence others, work with others, get a collective energy, and, and to do something positive. Sure. So from this sort of doom and gloom and feeling overwhelmed to having something positive, small, tangible, and making a difference seems to be exciting people. So the idea of a hope spot is not necessarily somewhere that's a sort of pristine, wonderfully looked after piece of land or sea or whatever. It's more a case of, of, of a place where it has the potential for people to work around it? I think so. You know, if, if you stop to think about it, conservation is an issue because of what people have done. And if you look at the sea, the acidification and the temperature rises and the effects of global warming and the pollution and the loss of the fisheries and all of these sorts of things, they emanated from what people do. But people are now in the best position than ever before to change that. The world basically is in our hands. I'm, I'm sure in your, your programs you've discussed the Anthropocene and that sort of thing before, whereas literally 
what we have done we can undo. But what one needs, in fact, is the willpower to do that. And uh, just in, you know, of our own coast, um, in each of the hope spots there are animals that are so iconic animals because while it is an ecosystem approach, the public identify with animals. For example, in Algoa Bay, which is going to be one of the hope spots on St. Croix Island and others, there are penguins and then there's a beautiful film that's been made by Homebrew, which did the shoreline series, oh, yeah. indicating, in fact, the, the plight of the penguins. They're down to 2%. Our crayfish is down to about 3%. Most of the large fishes have been taken out of the sea and we're down to less than 10%, sometimes down to also 2 or 3% of what they should be. Now, Sylvia's approach is, well, that's the good news. We've got those 2%. We've got more knowledge now, more technology, more understanding, more caring people than we ever had before. So let's get to it. And so it's it's getting, it's harnessing people, so it's called it igniting the power of people to do their bit. So, yes, it is um, harnessing the power of people, but ultimately one would, in fact, like to have pristine areas and to measure the changes that take place in it so people can go to a place that's pretty polluted and not all that great and then watch it change as they work on it. And so that becomes a hope spot. And, and there's some school children doing it around the country as well, which is really inspiring. It's really, it's all a matter of how you look. It's half a glass full, half a glass empty, isn't it? Crayfish And, and so, Sylvia's so inspirational. And she's, she's on CNN and um, TV nearly all the time. And I would really advise anybody who's interested in this to just type in Sylvia Earl into their, into their computer and put Ted Award and listen to her magnificent speech. And then when she's out here, come to her talks. Well, I tell you what, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get her right here on this very programme, hopefully with your help, Tony. Uh, you can perhaps get, a, get, get some uh, time with us for, or, you know, for us to speak to her. I think it would be really nice to hear more of what she has to say. But what I would like to know a little bit more of is, uh, aside from the Hope Spot, Sustain- Sustainable Seas Trust, you are who? Um, we're a charitable organisation in, in, in PO. Um we arose originally from the coelacanth program because I, I ran the coelacanth program. I think I was on there with you. And the, the countries around the Western, well, the Western Indian Ocean, that's near East Africa and the offshore islands, were very keen to have long-term sustainable programs, particularly for impoverished coastal communities. And so what we're doing through the Hope Spot initiative as well and, and other initiatives is to look at, look at these impoverished coastal people, help them with education and skills training so that they're less dependent upon the ocean and develop the caring and understanding. So the Family Seas Trust is a charitable organization in which we are deeply concerned with coastal conservation and poverty alleviation, primarily through education and skills training. Hmm. And much of that education and skills training is if we can let the people who do have choices better understand the issues and the plight of those who don't have choices we're also contributing to resolving the problems. And if I could just finally close, Tony, with the, with the f- five, six, did you say, five potential hope spots here in South Africa, can you reveal where they are? Oh, absolutely. Algoa um, Bay, you mentioned, was one? Yes, uh, and, and that, that is absolutely magnificent because it has beautiful soft corals, it's got sharks and mammals, and then the plight of the penguins is, as the icon. Uh, Nisna, which is going to be, I think, the world's first hope spot that focuses on an estuary and the iconic animal there is the night the seahorse 
The Cape Whale Coast Hope Spot is a fairly big one. It stretches from Wales down to Coin Point and, of course, the focal area there is Hermanus. And obviously, the iconic animal is the southern white whale. That, that's, a, that's a good story mm. because they were very threatened and they've improved. Yeah. Let's Hope Spot links Roberg, which is an MPA, to Sitikama. And theirs is the humpback whale. All of the Hope Spots have got either a linkage to a marine protected area or they have an island or another part within them. And then the final one, Al Rochelle, and I'll be there, in fact, this weekend, um, is of KwaZulu Natal, and there, and I'll have it confirmed when I'm there with them this weekend, I think it's the ragged tooth shark that is the iconic species. And so where was that in KZN? Al Rochelle, it's oh, uh, Al yes. Okay. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. It certainly sounds like there's a lot going on where uh, where you are. And we certainly look forward to hearing a little bit more from Sylvia Earle. So perhaps when she comes over, we can be in touch again, Tony, and we'll get her on our show. Uh, there's absolutely no problem to that because uh, her time is, in fact, quite carefully um, organised because she gives very little time. She's often on the call, you know, has to go and talk to presidents and others. Uh, she has an advised number of presidents and things. So... She's given us this time, and media openings or media slots have certainly been put in, and SAFM unquestionably will want one that she can talk to. Excellent. We should be proud to have her. Thank you very much, and we've been very proud to have you too, Tony. I think if anybody would like to know a little bit more about the Hope Spots, in fact, also about the Sustainable Seas Trust, your website, it's sst.org.za, is that right? Yes, that's absolutely right. Excellent. Well, we will speak Good. again. Thank, Thank you. you very much indeed. My pleasure. Good. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Well, there you go. Lots of hope. Lots of hope spots right around the coast of South Africa. Isn't that exciting? So good to hear some exciting things. So maybe we've only got 3% of crayfish, but hey, we've still got the 3%. So let's be positive about what can be done. Find out more about the Sustainable Seas Trust. It's www.sst.org.za. sst.org.za. I think next up we have a little bit of soccer. It's a goal! Oh! Ja! Doelpunt! Fantastisch! Nee! However you say it, make sure it's with the Hansa. Hansa Pilsner is the proud broadcast sponsor of SAPC's coverage of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. Hansa Pilsner, brewed for the dreamers. Enjoy responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. The Enviro Show. The Enviro Show it is. And sorry if I got you all excited there about the soccer. In fact, around about 10 2, you can uh, get your hopes up for that. We'll be hearing more about what's going on in Uruguay versus England in the Arena de Sao Paulo. But right now, we're going to, it's time for us to go foraging. And what we've got under scrutiny tonight are nuts. Well, to tell us all about nuts as a crop and their value and their nutritional value, we have on the line Jill White, who is CEO of the Green Farms Nut Company. I've got her lined up. Hi, Jill. Hi, Nancy. Nice to have you with us. The Green Farms Nut Company. Is the green because you are particularly green or are they green nuts? Explain to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, actually, the truth of the matter is one of our partners' name is Green. But when we were looking to decide on the name for the company, I felt um, that, and this was about 23 years ago, I felt that green was going to be sustainable long term and that it's the name to call our company. So 
we ended up calling it the Green Farms Bug Company. Well, there you go. You couldn't have chosen better, really. It's become the word of the <laughs> of the, de- the decade, I was going to say, but probably the word of the century and many centuries to come. So, yes. the Green Farms Nut Company, you are based where and what sort of nuts are you growing? Um, well, Green Farms, um, is, we, we have three factories, one in Lerpa province and one in Water River and one in uh, South Broome in Natal. And those are the three macadamia nut growing areas. So basically Green Farms Nut Company um, is focused 100% on macadamia nuts. Are macadamia nuts very sort of area specific? Do they like, you know, the sort of geographical locations that you get in, in, in Pumalanga? Yes, they're basically um, like a, a subtropical environment with um, summer rainfall and not too cold winters and hot summers, not too hot Jill, we're battling a little bit with your line. I think what we might do is try and get you back on it. Do you want to hang up and we'll get you back on the line? Okay, it's your sort of coming and going. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Uh, talking to Jill White of the Green Farms Nut Company. Incidentally, they were, I think she said that they've been going for something like 23 years. In fact, they were established in 1991 and um, they are actively supporting and developing emerging farmers, providing technical training and financial support. So it's not just that they're doing the farming themselves, they're also sort of trying to pass on the word. Well, I have to tell you, I was uh, shopping for nuts myself the other day, and they are they're one very expensive product, but they are so packed full of nutrition, it's kind of worth spending the money on them. Jill, have we got you back? Yes. Oh, that's Sorry a, about that. No, that's okay. It sounds a lot better. So macadamians only. Um, you're not planning to sort of move into any other sort of nut? Um, well, I do have a pecan nut company, which is based in Uppington, um, Kalahari Desert Products, and um, that area is better for pecan nuts. Okay. Are you still there? And very hot summers. Okay. Hello? So, yep, no, your, your lines are not fab up there, I must say, but never mind. The, so, hot conditions is what pecan nuts like. Yes, and very, well, very extreme temperatures, very hot summers and very cold winters. What sort of conditions in the years, the many years that you've been running the company, what sort of, what are your biggest threats? Are you experiencing the effects of climate change? What, you know, have things become more difficult or easier? Um, well, I think weather conditions always affect anything in, in farming uh tree crops or, or any kind of farming. So, yes, we have hail, we have floods, we have droughts and all of that we have to cope with. But in terms of um, challenges for us, one of the, f- the biggest challenges is that um, a lot of nut in shell is going out to China and um, we feel that this is maybe not the best way for South Africa, as it's not creating jobs here, it's not adding value to our product. Food safety is also a very big issue because um, if you want to supply any companies in Europe or the USA, which we do, you have to have very stringent world-class factories with um, ISO 22000 and other food safety protocols Mm. in place. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a big issue for us. 
and theft is probably another issue in the industry. Um, and, and getting enough supply for our, to make our factories viable because of the nut in shell going out, uh, getting enough supply and being able to supply our customers adequately is critical. Well, just explain to me when you say nut in shell going to China, did, are we exporting a lot of nuts still shelled? Yeah. Uh, well, we estimate this year in South Africa that 55% of the macadamias grown will go out nut in shell and 45% will be processed in South Africa and exported as kernel. Uh, in the pecan industry, it's probably even more dramatic because probably between 90 and 95% is uh, going out nut in shell to China. Mm. Well, I suppose it's a, it's a good thing from the point of view of export, but are we able to meet our own demand? I mean, uh, I was just mentioning there that nuts are, are very uh, very nutritious, but really quite expensive. Do we have a big demand here? Um, the demand in South Africa is big, but unfortunately most of our customers really don't want to pay the kind of prices that the international market's able to pay. For example, the, the macadamia industry is roughly a 2 billion rand foreign revenue earner for South Africa. And really, if we were to try and sell macadamias in South Africa, we, we probably would get half that value. Is it? I was just boasting there on your behalf that you're, do, you're doing quite a lot in, the, in terms of the development of emerging farmers. Is it possible for a small-scale a small scale farmer to run a viable nut farm? Or is it, you know, would they really need a lot of hectareage to make it worthwhile? Not at all. Um, the nut industry being a very high-value crop, um, a farmer with 5 to 10 hectares could probably make, um, and I'm guessing a little bit here because I haven't done those figures recently, but at the last time I did it, we, we calculated that they would get an income of about 500,000 rand if they were able to get proper um, yields. So the challenge for our, our emerging farmers, and we have... Um, quite a big project with emerging farmers in, in the rural areas of Venda is for them to get their trees really bearing properly and, you know, getting the yields that they should be getting. Uh, on that then, just briefly, because your, your line's cracking a little bit, um, is, there, is there a nut disease? Is there any sort of pests or any sort of threats to nuts? And, you know, is the yield increased... Um, if uh, the trees are sort of uh, well composted or are they quite happy in whatever sort of soil they get? Well, most trees enjoy regular water, so obviously some irrigation in the winter months is a good thing. As far as pests are concerned, yes, uh, particularly in macadamia nuts, we have stink bugs and other pests which we do have to control. Where we can, we use integrated pest management, which is um, a very environmental-friendly way of looking after um, the trees. And generally speaking, our macadamia orchards are carbon neutral because they, they absorb carbon dioxide, obviously. Hmm. 
Just last, last quick one. You know, one sort of imagines that nuts would be quite hardy little products. I mean, you know, they're not going to sort of die on you uh, being transported around. Do they have quite a long shelf life? Are they quite easy to transport? Yes. Um, that is one of the advantages of nut farming is you don't have um, a, a short window to sell your product. Usually we have about 18 months uh, cycle to keep our customers supplied long term. Jill, we're going to let you go, but thank you very much. And I think uh, given all the things that you do and all the ways in which you are helping to uh, you're helping to get other people off the ground, I'm going to give out your website, which is gfnc.co.za. That stands for the Green, Nut, Green Farms Nut Company, gfnc.co.za. Jill White, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Well, there we go. I think really, in fact, there is going to be no soccer crossing, which is um, which is very sad. Nonetheless, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Prost, cheers, cheers, santé, voilà. However you say it, make sure it's with the Hansa. Hansa Pilsner is the proud broadcast sponsor of SAPC's coverage of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. Enjoy responsibly. Not for sale to persons under the age of 18. It's a goal! Goal! Yeah! Doelpunt! Fantastisch! Golazo! However you say it, make sure it's with the Hansa. Hansa Pilsner is the proud broadcast sponsor of SAPC's coverage of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. Hansa Pilsner, brewed for the dreamers. Enjoy responsibly. Not for sale to persons under the age of 18. The Enviro Show. Well, right here on The Enviro Show, I'm afraid, sadly, I don't have a television. I can uh, have a PPAP, so I can't really give you any updates on the on the soccer, but I suspect that Stephen Kirker, who's listening in and standing by, I expect to be able to help you on that score, quite one literally. N- one nil to Uruguay at half-time, if you need that information. <laughs> you were eavesdropping, young uh, Stephen. Well, what do you think I'm doing here? <laughs> I listen now. Anyway, back to you. Thank you very much. There you go. One nil at half-time to Uruguay. How's that for the magic Stephen Kirker? Well, finally... In our green goodie feature on the Enviro Show this evening, a farm to fork business in Robertson, where organic is uh, is the key word, and their product is dried fruit and jam. They also do um, they have little rentals, they do cottages and all sorts of other things. But one of the reasons we thought we would talk to Alison Gilson of Tearhook Organic is because they also put their products into biodegradable packaging, which is called good for the ground packaging. Got her on the line to explain all. Hi, Alison. Hi, good evening. Am I right? I think you do all sorts of things. Dried fruit, you do jam, you do guest cottages, but you also put all your, well, not your guests, but um, all your products into <clears throat> biodegradable packaging. Yes, that's absolutely right. Yes, we do seem to juggle quite a few things from you the set, farm. You set, but they've you all sort of grown organically from each other, I guess. So that's okay. sort of how everything's developed. Um, obviously, we, we bought the farm. Um, my husband, Bruce, wanted to farm organically, and uh, we went that way. And when we um, started doing the dried fruit, I was very concerned about putting it into plastic. It didn't seem to be the right combination when you're putting an organic product that's sulfur-free, preservative-free, and so natural. And I started sort of looking around for an alternative, and we happened to go to a packaging show in Cape Town and came across some packaging and then eventually found someone who could do it for us. Um, Unfortunately, the material that makes the packaging, um, the technology is not in South Africa. So the, 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 the film is actually made overseas in France. 
um, but they can make, they, they bring it in in rolls and, and make it into to bags here. And it's 100% made from starch, so it doesn't have any plastic in it whatsoever. Well, that must have gladdened your heart somewhat. Absolutely. So, yes, so once, the, <laughs> once the packaging is finished, once the, the, the delicious product is finished, you've then got this crinkly package that you could pretty much bury in the ground and it would just disintegrate. Yes, well, really, what, um, the only form of, um, sort of certification they can give it is that it is certified compostable. There isn't actually a sort of certification for biodegradability as such. Um, so they, they say under composting conditions, so if it's in your composting site or in, with enough heat, it takes 45 days to completely biodegrade. If it's in a landfill or something else, it is quicker than newspaper um, and uh, definitely faster than, well, most plastic doesn't biodegrade at all. Hmm. Um, so from that side, it, it sort of comes from two sides, really. The one side being that it's a much natural product to make to start with. Um, it's using far uh, less, um, fossil fuels or whatever to produce so you're, you're starting with a better product at the beginning and then at the end it's, it's got a um, yeah it's, it's got a finite life much yeah. much uh, better way of biodegrading it as well. Uh, the, the thing about it though is that you wouldn't necessarily know that it was such a, a sort of environmentally friendly product unless somebody like you had told me I, you know because I don't think there's anything on it and it makes you think that um, all sorts of manufacturers of all sorts of products should be using it. Well, it's quite interesting because, I mean, you can print on the packaging, um, but obviously anything that we do, we don't print because, you know, we don't necessarily need our branding on somebody else's product. Yeah. Um, we do provide, um, people can get stickers and things, and a lot of our customers do that. They actually just put on either themselves to identify it. And on our jams and things, we do say on the packaging, you know, it's fully biodegradable. And I think possibly you're right. It's one of those areas that it's still a very, very small business um, that's growing. And, and I think there's still an awful lot more that we can do to make people aware that it's there, that it's available. Having said that, it's not suitable for everything. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you were doing something, for instance, if you were doing cookies that had uh, butter in them, um, it, the film is slightly breathable. Um, so, so it could allow the butter products to go rancid, for instance. So there's certain things that it wouldn't work for. Um, uh, for instance, I dry onions. I've been doing that this season, which has gone very, very well. But uh, what's nice about the onion is if it's crispy. So you can use it as a snack or you, you put it over salads. And I found in this particular packaging, it's, it's softening. It's because it's absorbing a bit of the air, it sort of softens somehow. So there's some things it's not that ideal for, mm. which is frustrating. Um, but it's one of those things, I think, with, with anything that you're wanting to do that's environmentally friendly or green, it, it doesn't always work to, yeah. to, to suit everything. And, every, you know, but it's, it's better than nothing at well, all. Well, absolutely. And, and the value, um, the value it is in... Work, we let it work. The, so. the value is in the research, too, because by doing this, you're sort of looking to see what does and what doesn't work. Um, so there's quite a lot of product development going absolutely. along the line. Absolutely. And I know that the manufacturer has been overseas to Europe, and I'm sure there's probably some film that, that's now come out that does everything. <laughs> Uh, and then we'll work for everything. And but what it is very good for, it's very good for vegetables, um, salads, and fresh produce like that. It keeps it incredibly fresh inside, um, much better than a normal pillow pack. As soon as you open a pillow pack, that's it. The salad yeah. goes right downhill. Yeah, yeah, and um, one quickly. of these ones, if you just you know fold it over and clip it, it keeps it very fresh. So it works incredibly well for for the products that it does work for. 
You know, we've been threatening to do a, a whole programme on uh, packaging here on the Enviro Show. In fact, I think we probably will still do it at some stage because it's yeah. such a huge issue because, you know, landfills are just clogged up Absolutely. with huge amounts of packaging. But in just the last few minutes, if we could just talk about the product that you're putting into your clever yes. packaging. Um, you undertook to be completely organic, which is, is no mean undertaking. You, you <laughs> mentioned, oh, absolutely. You mentioned that you're doing dried fruit. What products are you growing and what are your, what are your challenges with growing organic? Yes, well, we're doing a variety of things. Um, one, of the, one of the challenges of, of growing organic, obviously, is your environment. Um, you, you're very, very having to work very closely with your soils and your environment. And we found out over time that certain things do work very well in our area and certain things don't. Um, and you have to work with that. That's one of the, the, the painful processes of farming. It can take you quite a few years to make those mistakes and, and learn from them. Um, but really, we developed the products out of what we had in, on the farm ourselves. So it was peaches, apricots, plums, and quinces. And we also do tomatoes that we grow ourselves. And we're starting to do some gooseberries this season as well. And then we started expanding and saying, well, how else can we then also grow our, our range and help other organic farmers with, say, their seconds or thirds that they can't choose in anything else? So we also do apples. We're also doing bananas. Um, and I've actually been, just been to the Sundays River Valley to get uh, Nachis so that we can carry on doing more of our chocolate Nachis and dried Nachis, which are a very popular product. Um, one of the frustrating things slightly there at the moment is that while the demand is growing... Um, the producers are shrinking. <laughs> mm. so, um, it's, it's getting the message out there that there really is a growing demand for organic produce and um, that, that you know, farmers must, must, must look at that as an option. Um, yeah, so and, you're, and you're supporting way. the organic farmers by taking their product. Well, that's one of the things we wanted yeah. to do, to try and make it more sustainable for everyone. Yeah. And also from the other side, on my side and the production side, is to keep my production team... Um, in employment for as long as possible. I have a very small team permanently on the farm, and then we have a, a wonderful team from McGregor who comes through, um, and I can keep them employed permanently for about seven months of the year. If I can extend that, um, that would be fantastic for all of us. So well, I, I better give, out, I better give out your website as well, but if anybody's got any ideas over there in your uh, neck of the woods, as it were, which is yes, Robertson Way. Just lastly, um, Alison, is there a sort of, and I'm sure there is, and I should probably know it, is there some sort of organic growers association that one can find out more from? Well, it's, it's actually quite interesting. They, they, there was a sort of a movement to one quite a few years ago, and it never really got momentum, and I'm not quite sure why. So actually, at the moment... There isn't really a, um, an organic farmers um, sort of forum. There is a biodynamic farmers forum, yeah. of which I think organic members sort of have joined to sort of assimilate things. But there's a sort of a gap, and I think that's something that we we as farmers need to think of, of filling because people want more information and need to know more. Yeah, indeed. And you realise that you have a lot of information and it's not getting out there. Well, I tell you what, we're going to put out the call. If anybody knows of an organic farmers forum or if they would like to start yes, one, absolutely. please we'll let, let us know. know. <laughs> yes, indeed. Alison, you'll be the first to know. We'll, we'll <laughs> phone you. you personally. Lovely. Thanks very much. Very yeah, best you, of luck. You. Pleasure. Alison Gilson of Tearhook Organic. And if you would like to uh, help with information about an organic farmers forum, do let us know. And Alison is with Tearhook. That's T-I-E-R-H-O-E-K organic.com. Tearhook Organic. Dot com. Well, that's it. Once again, slightly over time. Thanks very much, team. That's Kim Winter and Lance Andrews, and I'm Nancy Richards. And standing patiently in the wings on the uh, touchline, or at least the, the white line, is Stephen Kirker. Over to you, Stephen. <laughs>